Hello, busybodies. Welcome to another episode of The Busyness Paradox. I'm Frank Butler, here with Paul Harvey. Good day. And on today's episode, we've got a, something interesting we're going to talk about with the idea of going back to the office and the question of, should you go back? But before we get into that, let's hit some busy bites real quick. A few episodes ago, we actually talked about moving or being able to work and live remotely from work. People, especially, I think it was around the idea of San Francisco, Silicon Valley area where real estate prices are astronomically expensive. People being able to work remotely in the pandemic has sped that process up. Well, there's been some interesting phenomenon going on around that idea of property now. What was once affordable is now getting, what I would say, less affordable. And not just in San Francisco. And not just in San Francisco. There's a Wall Street Journal article that's titled, In Phoenix, Million Dollar Homes Can't Sell Fast Enough. And it says, basically, the city's high-end housing market has seen a surge in out-of-state buyers since the onset of the pandemic. The story by Amy Gammerman really just highlights something we're seeing happen throughout the country right now. We hear about how inventories for real estate has been incredibly low throughout. And that's just driving this huge increase in pricing. I've read stories uh, on several sites about houses having 20, 25 offers all above list. In like one day. Right, in one day. And when a house doesn't appraise, you're on the hook for paying the overage out of your own money. So it's been wild out there. And I think that certainly does have an impact on this notion of, should I be a remote worker? Now, obviously, if you're in San Francisco, Silicon Valley area, and the real estate prices are so high as they are, you're probably still going to find it cheaper to live somewhere else, but not if they're talking about maybe giving you a salary reduction if you do work remotely, as some companies have been discussing. Who knows? The other article here, though, titled, also Wall Street Journal, Real Estate Frenzy Overwhelms Small Town America. This, again, echoes what I was just saying about deep pockets, these multiple bids, just saying about how hard it is to now get a house and to be a part of that buyer's market because of the craziness that's going on. And again, it ties back to that idea of remote work, right? If, if you're given the ability to work anywhere you want, even the small town areas are experiencing huge increases in pricings. And while it might be affordable to some people, maybe coming out of a New York City or a San Francisco, those people who are in that area who actually have to be in that area are not benefiting from that environment. So it's really leading to some larger societal challenges, I think, across the country. My uh, blood pressure is increasing while you're talking because I'm imagining my wife listening to this episode and saying, so uh, why haven't we sold that other condo that we used to live in before that we now rent out? <laughs> Because we're very much experiencing that where I live in New Hampshire, about, I don't know, 30-ish miles over the border from Massachusetts, we've gotten a huge influx of people remote working in Boston. So little condos like we have that were cheap when we got it 10 years ago or whenever that was are not cheap now. And someone, a friend of mine just sold her condo for a very similar condo. And yeah, First day, multiple bids went for 40000 above asking price. Jeez. And I'm thinking, oh boy, <laughs> maybe you need to kick those tenants out. <laughs> but that's part of the problem. Like, where would they go? They're both grad right. students that live there. Like, where would they go? Like, they could not afford anywhere else right now in 
in small town America here. So to your point about the societal challenges. Yeah, I, I think that's the idea is we're seeing this sort of its own epidemic that's going on and you're squeezing a lot of people. And I know there's been a lot out there about, for example, some of the millennial generation and even Gen Z who are now entering the workforce saying, hey, you know, your my great grandparents or my grandparents were able to not even have a college degree, go out and get a house and, you know, stay at home mom, take care of the kids, all of that, like at their age. And I get why people think that way and the challenges that come from that. I think there's a lot more to it than just simply income to being able to afford a house. I think part of it was, you know, populations change, right? We've grown, the country's grown, and we're seeing a change of how people want to live. Whenever people bring that up, it drives me crazy. I mean, yes, everything you just said is true, but we're always hearing about you know, used to be able to raise a family of 17 on one income and have a, you know, <laughs> huge house. Like you're talking about a very short window of time when the U.S. was the only industrial power in the world that hadn't just been bombed to smithereens. Like, yeah, that was a good time to be in the American workforce, but that wasn't like normal. <laughs> well, and then you had the huge population growth after that, right? And the baby boom. And while yeah. people like to say the boomers are responsible for this, well, kind of, but not really. It's their parents who were sort of responsible, the silent generation for having those kids because there was success. There was a lot of, as as you say, we were the only industrialized nation that really wasn't absolutely leveled because of World War II. And then on top of that, with that population growth, people were having to buy the houses. And so if you want to get an affordable house, you have to live further out at the end of the day. That's the unfortunate reality. And city centers everywhere have become incredibly expensive to live. Even Chattanooga, I find the prices for a thousand square foot, one bedroom or two bedroom, one bath kind of place is astronomical. Mm -hmm. Whereas my wife and I live in the countryside basically, and we got a lot of house for similar money, (laughs) you know? And yeah, we have to drive a lot more. It wasn't that long ago that the opposite was true, that no one wanted to live in the inner cities and all the widespread disappointment about all these like wonderful city centers that have gone to pot and Now everyone's in the suburbs and all of a sudden it's flipped around again. Now there's this huge demand to live in these city centers and they've become astronomical. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that though. I came across an article the other day about this phenomenon. I think I might have sent it to you and it was about how because the professional worker, the knowledge worker is spending so much more time working, you know, so many more hours, which of course here at the busyness paradox, we're kind of trying to push against that. 40-hour work week as being the de facto, and I should say 40-plus-hour work week being the minimum Mm -hmm. de facto standard. But what we're seeing is that that's been driving this influx of knowledge workers, professional workers moving into the city centers because they're spending more time working. They want to spend less time commuting and all those other things that go with that. So they're gentrifying those those city centers again because of that very phenomenon. And I think the article that you sent me Maybe it's just me reading what I wanted to read in it, but it kind of touched on what we talk about all the time of the impression management aspect of these long hours being part of it so that we actually have this like fake busyness driven shift in socioeconomics happening in cities. It's kind of fascinating. It is fascinating, isn't it? We really are rewarding busy work the wrong attributes at the end of the day, right? Yeah. And and that all comes back to this idea of faking busyness and for what? 
Because at the end of the day, we know more and more, at least, we're seeing this quote-unquote rise and grind lifestyle. So this is an article you had sent over from Inc. that basically gets into the idea that that rise and grind lifestyle might actually be killing you. Right. And at the very least, it's probably not making you more productive. Exactly. Because you've got no slack resources. You're exhausted. You know, your mm-hmm. creative juices are spent. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's going to be another episode we're going to definitely get into about this idea of of slack or at least, I guess it's the theme of, the underlying theme of the busyness paradox of saying, hey, it doesn't help you to, to work a lot. It doesn't make you a better worker. And, right. and so we're going to have more about that, obviously, in later episodes. But this one was really starting to build around that idea of the real estate aspect with the busy bites on real estate. And we've weaved a little bit here into this idea of saying, hey, why is why are we seeing this phenomenon going on? That's with the whole idea of the knowledge professional worker wanting to be closer to the office. But this now leads to, I think, the core topic for today, which is, should you go back to the office? Right. And again, this was one of those things that came up. I believe it was a, a Wall Street Journal article too. Yeah. Yeah. By Rachel Feinzeig. I guess it's German. If I, if it's not, I'm sorry. Good thing you, you speak German because <laughs> I would not have known how to pronounce that. Yeah, I think it's German. So I'll apologize if Rachel listens to the podcast and says I said it wrong. I apologize in advance. But with that though, there's a lot of questions around this. Don't, don't you think, Paul, this idea of should you go to the office? There's a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. You know, being in our line of work, you can't help but think about this kind of stuff. And it's difficult. As always, the answer ends up being, well, it depends. Our favorite. But this is like a really big, it depends, you know, and the Wall Street Journal article you mentioned makes this point that this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to make this call for yourself. We're not going to see again a situation where the average employee has so much leverage over whether they work remotely, go back to the old way of doing things, some hybrid of the two. There's this very small window of of time here where people can make this decision for themselves. So making the wrong one for yourself would be unfortunate. At least that's the way it seems like it's going to play out. I mean, nobody knows for sure. But you you can really argue it both ways. I don't think there's an answer that's right for everybody. But I think where the real meat of the debate comes up is what are the pros and cons either way you go? And what's going to happen? Like, what's the prediction? Are we as a society going to generally shift back to how things were before the pandemic? Or is it always going to be different? And I've heard convincing arguments on both sides. I've always been of the mindset, always. I've generally thought since the pandemic started that this has probably accelerated some changes that were already happening in regards to remote work and such. But I don't really want to see things go back the way they were before, but it wouldn't surprise me either. But there's a lot of human nature involved, and we're so bent on the idea of impression management and the appearance of working hard which involves being at the office long hours. And if we're so driven to do that, that cities' socioeconomics are changing because of it, it's not a stretch to say that after the pandemic's over, we will probably migrate back to the putting in a lot of face time in the office. Yeah, it's hard to unring that bell. Yes. And that's the key. Now, there's a lot of obvious benefits to remote work. We've talked about them in previous episodes. This article even talks about them. For a very simple thing, like just think about commute times for some people or having to eat lunch out and the amount of money that costs you versus being able to have food at home and and save the money doing that or eating healthier or having the benefit of not having to look like you're 
always busy, you know, being able to go use the bathroom when you want without people monitoring your time spent, those kinds of things, and just being able to get the job done. And here again, we really believe in the idea of focusing on the output, not time spent for a lot of reasons. But as you say, there's a lot of, um, what's the word? Uh, inertia. Yeah. There's a lot of inertia here that will probably lead to at least some return to quote unquote normal of how it was pre-pandemic. Now, I think there will be people who are going to benefit from this. And again, I think this is the bigger point from all of this is we'll see some people want to go back to the office. We'll see Mm -hmm. some of that return to normal, but there's going to be a swath of people who want to work remotely, who want to stay at home and work in their office. And that should be okay. There should be nothing wrong with that. But this comes back to that article by Rachel here in the Wall Street Journal. What happens if you do want to stay working remote, but you're not getting that FaceTime and who gets the rewards then? Is it going to be the people who were in office? And your coworkers are exactly. Yeah. Right. So I think that's the conversation we have to have. And for those of you who are managers or aspiring to be managers or leaders or whatever, there's different approaches or different views we have to take at this to make sure that you're not getting biased based on or doing things that you don't necessarily think are in your best interest to make you the most productive. I think in the spirit of doing that, it is important to, we've kind of focused a little bit more on the benefits of remote work and the downsides of conventional office work, whatever you want to call it. But there are pros and cons going the other way too. One of the biggest to me that was mentioned in this article is the, she refers to it as preserving some sort of physical transition between work and home. I think that's a a big one. If anything is going to drive me back to the office sooner than later, it would be that. I've always kind of fluctuated on this, but I think there are times in your life where you really need that separation for one reason or another. It can be psychologically healthy and there's a lot of benefits, but if that involves a three-hour commute and heavy traffic, okay, maybe not so much then. And the flip side that we've talked about before, where you don't have the FaceTime pressures at home, but we have a lot of ambiguity when you're working at home. Another point she makes in the article is that some people took the time they saved not commuting and just worked more because of it, partly because they were kind of overcompensating for not having the FaceTime. So I'm going to be answering emails at three in the morning. You know, it can cut both ways. And I think a lot of it comes down to what's your personality, what's your psychology, basically, as well as what are the financial and logistical realities of your workplace? What are other people doing that you work with? Are you concerned that you will miss out on a promotion because your coworkers get more FaceTime than you if you work from home? Are you okay with that? Are your coworkers planning to go back? What's happening at your company is a big part of it also. Yeah, I think that's so key. What do you hear your boss saying? Mm-hmm. I know, for example, that JP Morgan's Jamie Dimon has said, I can't wait to get everybody back on the office. That's when we're going to be the best. We're creative. So if you're in an environment where your CEO or your higher ups are saying, we're looking forward to being back in the office. You're going back to the office. You're probably going to want to go back to the office. Even if they leave you the option of remote work, Mm -hmm. you're probably going to find yourself in an unbeneficial situation Mm -hmm. if you don't go back in. Only because they're not going to create policies or systems to help make sure that people are being treated fairly. If some decide to work from home or do some sort of high flex type thing where they go in some days and not other days or whatever it's going to be. HSBC, that bank, I think, we covered them in a busy bite in another episode. They're cutting down several floors and they're going to a 
hot desk environment is what they call it. So basically they get to, they're getting rid of office space because most of their executives are traveling anyway, and they're going to have some level of working from home and those kinds of things. So why do they need to have as much office space? So they're going to have to come up with systems to help ensure that they're treating everybody fairly because of the fact that they're traveling a lot or they're getting to work at home too. So they might have this hot desk situation, but that's going to certainly have an impact on how they evaluate people. I think that might actually be beneficial for them. If they're restructuring their office layout and their real estate holdings based on the assumption of more remote work, I would imagine that that's just going to kind of happen, that they'll build in policies and evaluation norms to accommodate those remote work folks. I'd be more concerned about the companies that are just opening up the offices again and saying, it's up to you. Exactly. I would too, because you know you're going to be concerned about how they're going to evaluate people. And if they're saying, hey, we're open, but they're not talking about how they're changing either office structure or how they're creating right. processes around evaluations for those who decide to work remotely, then yeah, I think yeah. you've got something to discuss. And again, in that situation, if you do find you're in this situation where there's not a lot of direction, that's something that you'd probably also want to look at with regards to how your boss is doing it, right? Your direct boss, that's going to be the one evaluating your performance. If he or she's deciding to work more often from home than going into the office, that could mean something that you'd be better served or you're at least able to do that as well. But you'd also probably want to make sure there's some FaceTime going on when he or she's in the office as well. So you'd want to make those kind of allocations. Now, again, there are those people who want to work remotely, but move somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Again, that's going to come down to what kind of policies are in place already? How is the company going to evaluate you? And are there going to be concerns about, are you going to get passed up on promotions for not being face-to-face? That's something that, again, you have to read the room in a sense. Yeah. What are you hearing the upper level management saying? What are you hearing your direct manager saying? This is that time that you want to have those conversations with your management. Because it's not weird to ask about that kind of thing right now. Not at all. This is the time to do it. A year or two from now might be like, what? Like you said, there's inertia and that inertia is going to return. There's inertia now. There's going to be more inertia later. Well, and that goes back to people don't like change, right? Yes. We were forced to change for the pandemic. And while there's a lot of people who liked working from home, there's a lot of people who didn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hear it all the time. I can't wait to be back in the office. I'm like, why? (laughs) I love it, you know? But that's true. It's one of those that everybody's different. And that's... One of those things that I think is going to be interesting in the future, though, how are people going to be attracted to new jobs, right? If you're in an institution that makes you come back and that's not for you, you're probably going to look for another organization that has culture that allows you to work more remote or more frequently from home. And now you've got the skills to do that. Say, have you ever worked remote before? Of course I have, you idiot. We all did. (laughs) Right. But But, the point being, stepping into that lifestyle, that career path of the remote workers going to be a lot easier for most people now. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a different question. They probably won't even ask it anymore. It's probably going to be part of their recruiting package. Hey, come work for us. You get to work remote. We've got great promotion plans in place, blah, blah, blah. Good point. I think it's going to be certainly something we're going to see utilized as a recruiting tool for some companies. So again, read the room, be careful. Now, going back to something Paul had said earlier too, One of the things is that there is the idea of sometimes it's good to commute in, having that separation between work and home. I will say that one of the things that keeps me, I would say, a little bit more centered in a sense is having zones in your house that you do not do work. 
right? So your mm-hmm. bedroom should be someplace that you never check email. If yeah. you want to check your email, you got to get up, leave the room and do it. You got to have safe zones. I like to keep my work itself to two particular rooms, primarily my office at the house. But I think that's something that you need to do is find specific boundaries, create structure around work and home life and stick to it. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's going to help you if it's going to help your mentality to just have zones that are for work and zones that are for life, right? For your home life, for your personal life, family life, whatever it is. So make sure you create boundaries, even if it has to be a carved out uh, place in a house or an apartment, make sure there's a designated area that's going to be for work. And then make sure there's a designated area that's no work. It might be even your, just your bed. So you might be in a studio. Make that bed the safe zone. Yeah. I've even heard of people that go outside in the morning, walk around the block and then walk back into their house through another door if they have one to create some of that psychological separation. Yeah. it sounds ridiculous on the surface, but it's, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. It does. Right. I think so too. If you were used to listening to uh, music on the way into work or a podcast mm-hmm. or something or reading a little bit, you can do the same thing too. You can emulate that, throw in some earbuds, go walk around the house or walk around the building, take a walk on your street or- Listen to at least three episodes of Busyness Paradox and then you know start your day. There you go. That's exactly it. Catch up on the Busyness Paradox. Yeah. But no, I think there's a lot of ways of at least- trying to create some level of well-being in your own home if you want to work from home and if you can work from home as we start to exit the pandemic, which is what's going on now. We're starting to see an end Mm -hmm. to the blanketed processes and requirements that the pandemic had. We're starting to see face masks uh, requirements being lifted for those who are vaccinated. We're seeing people going back to the office. I know, for example, here at work, if you've been vaccinated, you no longer have to wear a mask on campus. Really? Yep. That's the new one here. So it's going back to a a new normal, but it's still going on. Now we'll see how long it takes though, before they say they want everybody back regularly. That's why this is the time to be having this conversation with yourself and your family. Because however things are going to end up, they're going to end up that way sooner than later. Like This is the time to figure out what you want for yourself. Exactly. And that could mean a lot of things. It might mean that you're at the wrong company. So you need to start planning for Mm -hmm. a job transition, looking at getting your resume brushed off and dusted up and and looking pretty and getting those qualifications in there and start looking for jobs and finding those companies that are offering you the ability to work remotely. Or maybe you're at a company that's saying, hey, we're going all remote because it's going to save us on real estate. And you go, you know, I really want to have that FaceTime. So you go find an organization that's going to allow you to at least be back in the office. If that's what you're looking for. If that's what you want. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think for, for employers, this is something important to understand. Your ability to be flexible from here on forward and giving people an array of options. Now, obviously, not all jobs have this flexibility, but for those that do, it's time to consider how do we create policies and practices around that that's going to make sure that everybody's being treated fairly. Or are you going to be missing out on good employees because you're not offering them the options that they're looking for? Exactly. Exactly. And that might not be a thing as much in some industries and some areas of the world as others. It's like the reverse of your read the room, read the, I don't know, read the place where you live. (laughs) What's what's the vibe? Yeah. What's the vibe? Yeah. But there's a lot going on. So I think there's a lot of things that you can do to make sure your environment's better. And at the end of the day, I think that's one of the things that we do this podcast for is to help you with tips, tricks, how to think about things, helping create structure and what have you. 
to make work life better for you. That's why we say, hey, reach out to us, ask us questions. We'll dive into it. We'll cover a topic. We want to hear from you. And that's why we say listen to at least three episodes of the show every morning without fail. Without fail. You need that structure. That's right. And you might get a good ad or two in there every once in a while. You never know which episodes will be sponsored. That's right. By whom? The surprise sponsor. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening to another episode, everyone. Good day. The Busyness Paradox is distributed by Paul Harvey and Frank Butler. Our theme music is adapted from It's Business Time by Jermaine Clements and Brett McKenzie. Our production manager is Justin One Take. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'd love to hear from you. Please send questions, comments, or ideas for future episode topics to input at busynessparadox.com or find us on Twitter. Also, be sure to visit our website, busynessparadox.com, to read our blog posts and for links to the articles and other resources mentioned in today's show. Finally, please take a moment to rate and follow or subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast provider. Mm-hmm. Yes,